the ebook revolution podcast this is episode 28 and uh today we're going back to the ubud writers festival 2018 to uh talk to carlo pizzati who was a uh fascinating man a journalist a renowned journalist who um is also a renowned novelist and he's written a fascinating book about um living in india he uh married a, a his beautiful indian wife and lives in a small fishing village in uh paramankanai according to his bio where he finds himself in the company of fishermen and goat herders the book is called mapalai an italian son-in-law in india and uh we'll be talking talking to carlo about that book and many other things as well so stick around it's a great episode great interview how has your life been going mine's been pretty busy i've um actually been moving which is one reason this episode's a little late um finally moved into a house after living in an apartment for eight years and um it's great got got plenty of room even got a little studio where I'm uh, putting this episode of the ebook revolution podcast together for you right now. I've got a view out the window with some palm trees and not far from a beach. But that's it for me. I've been moving. I've been struggling with my own writing as well. I'm working on a few projects, but um, certainly moving <laughs> tends to upend all your plans. Been here two weeks now, so uh, we've finally got most of the boxes open and uh stuff put back in its rightful place one thing about moving i guess is um great way to take stock isn't it like we uh carry all this shit around in the back like snails and it's not until you actually move that you think do i really need that thing it's good to do a bit of death cleaning in in some regard just to have a good look about what we carry around from from place to place that's it for me i guess in my life are you struggling with your writing are you, are you hitting the wall i mean there's a lot, a lot of advice on the internet on the interwebs on the twitters about um you know how to be a writer <laughs> i guess that's what i'm doing for you but it's also good to take a break sometimes if you if you just bashing your head against the wall and you don't feel you're getting anywhere don't forget to live life sometimes it's it's good to to walk away from it for a while and come back refreshed come back to your writing that way and and don't look at that as as a failure it's all part of the process um as carlo says in the interview later you know you've got to understand that um if you you don't love the process of writing and it's hard to to be a writer you've got to love that process and um that's one of the things uh i'll talk about with carlo coming up soon but um yep back to ubered uh it was a fantastic writers festival it's the first one that i've been to the ubered writers festivals 2018 in ubered bali a very big international festival in bali uh just such a chilled laid-back place and the the great thing about writing festivals is you get to meet some people and authors you wouldn't normally meet and i'm in a, a the lucky situation of um 
being over there with uh, some microphones and recording equipment and being able to sit down and talk to these people. And it, it's just a, a joy for me as a writer myself to sit down to authors at the top of their game and, and ask them about writing, how they go about it, and share that information with you here in the podcast. And that's what the ebook revolution podcast is all about. If you want to hear more about Ubered, just pop along to the ebookrevolutionpodcast.com website where we have all the show notes for the episodes and uh, you can find other interviews from Ubered with authors like Kim Scott, Tiffany Zhao and Julia Prendergast. Coming up soon, Carlo Pizzati. Episode 28 of the Ebook Revolution podcast is brought to you by our producers, Madhouse Media Publishing. Do you want to publish a book? Have you got a manuscript almost there but don't know what to do next? Well, Madhouse Media Publishing will do the hard bits for you. Formatting, layout, ebook conversion, cover design, editing. We can do it all for you. The hard bits for you. You do the writing, let us do the rest. Don't wait any longer to publish your book. It's too easy with Madhouse Media Publishing. Go to www.madhousemedia.com.au and book your obligation-free 20-minute consultation. That's www.madhousemedia.com.au. Do it now. Ubered to talk to Carlo Pizzati and um, it was a fantastic interview I, I really enjoyed talking to Carlo we um, we uh, had a great chat and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you now Carlo Pizzati is a Swiss-born fiction and non-fiction writer and an award-winning journalist who has published two novels three non-fiction books and a collection of short stories he lives with his wife near a fisherman's village in India where he writes about Asia for the Italian National Daily La Stampa, cultural essays and editorials for the Indian National Daily The Hindu. Carlo teaches communication theory at the Asian College of Journalism in Chennai. And he's also developing a project with his teenage son to produce affordable football shoes for Indian girls. That's Carlo Pizzati, a fascinating man. I got to talk to him at Ubud, and I asked him about the ideas that power his writing. Oh, the ideas that power my writing? Yeah, very good question. Um, well, I, uh, I think that the main virtue that power my writing is honesty, especially in this last book, Mapile. It's, the attempt has been to make the reality entertaining and the secret to do that has been to be extremely honest about my own shortcomings about this ego that through the years gets uncovered for the embarrassing clown that it is and so that's the, that honesty has brought that out in accepting the, the ridiculous aspect of the proud ego in a way uh, and has made for some entertaining texts and chapters somehow so I think that definitely in this case it's, it's been honesty in the case of this last book. Good answer. You've, you've lived in India for 10 years, of course. How, how does being a cultural outsider in your adopted home inform your writing? That's certainly what the 
<coughs> your book is about. Yeah. How do you pronounce the title again? It's Mapile. 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 Well, you know, it's interesting the question about the outsider because it's true that obviously you you have a survivalist need to be alert uh, of the reality which is unfamiliar. So then it's a useful tool to have as a writer because that means that you are more observant and that you might have also a different perspective, of course, of what uh, the local narrative is about the local culture. But then again, I mean, also this thing of outsider is also created a little bit by... Um, by the uh, host culture. So what I explore here is the bit of the nuances of when is it that you become an insider and you stop being an outsider? Can you ever stop being an outsider in India? And then what I discover is that India is a country made of many outsiders because the caste yeah, creates outsiders yeah. and because there are people from different states in India who speaks different languages and so there it's it's actually a lot more comfortable to be an outsider there than you would imagine and this also explains the necessary uh, destiny that diversity has had in India meaning we are so diverse a billion 300 million people we better start accepting all the differences or there would be a carnage which is a problem now with the current political situation because yes. that is a little bit in a crisis the uh, the sacrality of diversity it's a crisis globally really exactly unfortunately yes so just, I think what's happening there is I see it happening in my home country in Italy as well of course I've seen it in the adopted country of America as well so yeah I think it's also a bit of a reason to make a nomadic multiculturalist stand or multi-local as they call it now with this book yeah. as someone who's been born in Switzerland grown up in Italy in Florida in Washington New York all over the world living in yeah. Latin America and then now in India in saying let's preserve this world this is a conquest and if we're going to go back in this historical cycle of this medieval times or the entrenching behind the walls we're going to lose something that is helping humanity which is this exchange of ideas improve humanity they're not making it worse it's a frightening thought that we're moving towards that Yes, I think I think that it's that's ignorance obviously is the cause and something else and again maybe some sort of pride and fear of losing ground and in a previous book I've written called The Edge of an Era discusses exactly the crisis of globalization and and, and sort of points out all the weak spots of our current fears that brings us to, to this, to retrench it toward this idea of nationality, which I kind of reject personally. Even though I identify with my Venetian culture where I grew up, I really don't uh, embrace so much nationality. I think it's, um, it's something that we need to evolve from. <laughs> well, we're continue, continuing to evolve from notions of nationality. Well, we are continuing to evolve, but I think, as, as you pointed out, in the current zeitgeist and the current spirit of the time is, is uh, regressing towards, mm. towards entrenching behind the storytelling, which is, I'm Italian, I'm Indian, well, Indian is so varied, Italian is so varied, I'm Australian, I don't know, it depends maybe where you are from, I'm sure someone from Melbourne is very different from someone from Sydney. Right? <laughs> well, it's a young country, but there are those distinct right. differences. <laughs> It's um, you, you came to writing through journalism. Yes. Um, does do you think the discipline and craft of journalism makes writing a novel 
Asia? Well, no, actually. And I also think that there is obviously a lot of discrimination in the publishing world against journalists nowadays because a lot of journalists want to become novelists. So it's actually tougher very often for a journalist to uh, make the cut and be uh, accepted by the publishing world because it's a category that is looked at uh, full of ambitious novelists. Uh, but I actually personally, because I started working as a journalist at an extremely young age, I'm supporting myself at 21 in New York as a correspondent of a national daily like La Repubblica. Um, I actually, in 2005, decided because I always wanted to, be, to write novels and write fiction, literary fiction, and move to a different type of writing. Um, I, in 2005, took really a break from journalism to wash away from my hands the journalistic style yeah. in order to discover a new type of writing, which then, when I returned to journalism, actually uh, enriched my journalistic writing. So I, I did take a break of at least three or four years in which I devoted myself to writing my first novel and to think about what, how I wanted to write and how I wanted to evolve as a writer. And it was a good idea, a good decision. So I think that the observant spirit that you develop as a journalist obviously, obviously helps as a writer, but then you need to change perspective and so sometimes the craftiness of journalism actually gets on the way of, of finding out what you and how you need to say, what you need to say and how you need to say. I, I, I sometimes say that I was, you know, thinking that I was telling the truth as a writer, what I was probably misleading the truth, and as a fiction writer or auto-fiction auto writer at times, I think I am playing with imagination, but I'm actually coming closer to the truth. They say that every journalist has a novel busting to get out of Yes, them. yes. <laughs> um, so the... The creative urge for you came before the journalism. I definitely had the creative urge earlier. I also published some poetry in, in America when I was a teenager in uh, in uh, the university. Uh, then I stopped, but I also started writing novels, uh, very and, and short stories, very early, in, uh, as a as an adolescent. So yeah, definitely that was that came first, but it was in parallel. Like, I do respect journalism a lot. And I think, well, not just because it's given me a living, but I think that nowadays, as we were saying earlier about what's happening to nationalism, there is even more of a need to protect journalists in the job they're doing. And there is a need for legislation to protect them. The special laws have to be made to protect journalists. Then, of course, journalists have to stick to the truth and they have to be serious anti-defamation laws. But at the same time, and I'm saying this because in India they're killing journalists sometimes and all over the world, of course. But in dem democracies, at least, there should be laws protecting a journalist because a journalist is playing a specific, important, special role in society. So I think that there has to be better protection. And we've seen in Burma journalists being arrested and being in jail still for telling the truth. So I think that there has to be a concerted international effort to uh, give value again to what journalism means. It's difficult in the United States when you have the chief executive um, likening journalists to the enemy of the people. Yeah, and shutting them up constantly and avoiding them. And yes, it's, that, that, that happens because I think whenever there is a new technology, society changes and it's new technologies change, as Marshall McLuhan told us, yes. change how we interact. Uh, within society, so obviously we, some people are better than others at understanding how that works and manipulating it. So it's a phase, and I, I am confident that it will pass. Uh, but it's a sad phase for journalists, definitely. And also journalists, unfortunately, 
reacted the wrong way. I think they allowed themselves to entrench into partisan journalism, and that has damaged the concept of fairness, which I think we need to bring back. So. Do you think it's possible? Have we reached a tipping point because of social media? Yeah. I, th I think it's possible. I think that, that uh, history goes in cycles, and I think definitely the, the, this, this cycle will obviously end. I mean, I'm sure maybe I've uh, I'm imbibed too much Indian philosophy, but I think that by living there so long, but I do think that, that it is possible. It would be in a new way, of course, but you do need someone uh, that plays the role of, with honesty, telling something that is uncomfortable sometimes, as I do in Mapile in my book about uh, the race politics, about the fact of being yeah. white in a brown country as well. So yes, it is uncomfortable like to, mm, quoting tropical neurasthenia and uh, making fun of uh, white people who go to <laughs> third world countries, you know, like I have living in Latin America and India. So I think there is a need for uh, defending people who try to say the uh, uncomfortable, embarrassing truths sometimes. Mapilla, yeah, they're learning great. Fantastic! <laughs> it's your third novel. It, it's kind of like a, I, I'm glad that you mistook it for a novel because this allows me to make a memoir. Point. Yes, but actually, it is kind of a novel. So I'm glad that you did that because I, I, would, I would like a novoir. Novoir, a, a like mem, that. A mem, memoir. <laughs> memo, memoir. A memoir. A memoir. That's kind of good. It's like a French word. A, a memoir. <laughs> you know, you know, you're just giving me a great idea because I have a, a word in Italian that I had in a dream to describe something that is half a novel and half a memoir, yeah. but I had not found one in English. So I really thank you because I'm going to use that. I hope you copyright it. But a memoir is perfect because my my novels uh, that I've written in the two novels I published in Italian are memoirs in the sense they're strongly informed by research that I've done, by my personal familiar history and the second novel by the three years living in Latin America. So for me these distinctions are again commercial needs of publishers. Yeah. So let's go with Mamovel. <laughs> well this is your third Mamovel. Yeah. <laughs> is each Mamovel easier to write? Honestly, yes, yes. The first uh, memovel was uh, <laughs> was a total uh, difficult uh, birth. It was really locking myself up in a in a cabin up in the top of a hill near Rome and crying my heart out, literally. You know, being taught in a difficult moment of my life, I just separated from the mother of my child, and I decided to take a break in journalism. So it was total typical midlife crisis at its yeah. darkest, and so it was also that. But also it was difficult because I had to find the voice. Now I found the voice. Also in a previous memoir called Technoshema, which is more of a memoir, which is the prequel to Mapila, is how I arrived in India, which might most likely will be published again next year in India. And now I found it. I found it. And and it is easier. It is always tough because editing is very, I believe in strong editing and it's not easy, but uh, it is, it doesn't. Like, so if you could reassure writers that their first novel is hang in there because after after sweating your blood out, uh, it will be worth it, it will be easier. And, uh, in a certain way, it will always be difficult, but at least the craft part, it will be easier. You develop your own toolbox. Yes, yeah. which is also unique to yourself. Yeah, which is also a trap because then you might get into a formula and then you don't experiment anymore and yeah. that's fun. That's part of the fun of the process is yeah. experimenting so yeah it's good to get a toolbox but it's good to know when to throw it away too i think talking about, talking about process mm. do you have any rituals 
It's a question I ask every writer because it fascinates me. I'm, I'm OCD, so I mean, I, with all due respect, people have like obviously been diagnosed with that. So uh, and I haven't been diagnosed, but I self-diagnosed that I need to put things in order. Yeah. Uh, my son makes fun of me because he's very much, much, much less orderly than I am. But I definitely like to. I like cleaning up the room, for example, definitely helps because for me it's like cleaning up my notes, cleaning up my mind, and so I need to do like a, to, to, to put things in, in place on the desk and everything, and then then make a mess of it again. But at least to get started uh, because then I'll, then I'll start bringing out all the papers but to get started I need a bit of that Zen cleanliness yeah. and and yes I do have that, that ritual I chew on a cigar that's a recent advice <laughs> I don't smoke it I like the tobacco flavor uh, these are grappa flavors the ones that I've been uh, chewing on but I've been told I need to chew a thousand of them in order to get drunk because uh, they're only like drenched in grappa you don't really drink it so uh, I do that and uh, no I think I think it's this uh, need to put some order which is in a way the metaphor of writing right so it's a need to put order in chaos so I think it's normal that in my reality I put a little bit of order in the room in the desk and then we can get started and every morning you know early after after breakfast I can get up early I live in a house on the beach and I start writing very very early um, until lunch do you find you write better in the are you a morning writer? In, in the totally morning writer. Yeah. And again, this brings me back to the question about the toolbox. That, um, I think I need to experiment in evening writing exactly because I am naturally a morning writer. Yeah. So I think that that's one, for example, experimentation I'd like to do, really force myself to change something in the daily metabolism and experiment more. I've done some night writing, but uh, I was in a writer's residency recently and I was one of the two or three who were morning writers and many others were evening writers. So I, 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 got, I got very tempted by the idea of trying that. But actually, I, 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 my full energy is morning until lunchtime. Yeah, editing the afternoon. There's something, something to be said about writing in the morning because you've just woken up and your brain's in half of the dream state. Yeah. So the ideas can flow better. At the yes. end of the day, you've yeah. got a day full of worries. And Yes. Tasks and chores. Yeah, I think that, you know, Carl Gustav Jung used to uh, put up the alarm very, very early in the morning and then soak himself in a tepid uh, bathtub to recreate the amniotic fluid of the mother's womb so that he would induce his dream. That kind of uh, made the central uh, material of his theories, right? So I, I think you're right. I mean, definitely, it's, it's, for me, it is dreamier, and I also, the mind is more agile in the morning, but there are people that uh, in the evening, they bring out more of a lyrical voice. I have that anyway, the lyrical yeah. tendency, so I don't, but still, I think that because I like to put myself in new challenges, I would like to see if I'm able to... I have the impression it might be more poetic in the evening. I don't know. After one or two. After, <laughs> exactly. It could be. could be. Although I think that there's a whole uh, subject of, of intoxication <laughs> and writing, of course, and <laughs> that several writers have had those, those experiences. And I think in this phase, writers are some of the healthiest people. As Murakami proves by writing oh, yes. books about jogging, that yeah. we've, we've become, it's a new phase, and, and it's better to keep your mind sharp to, to make it, well, your yes, stories well, wonderful. <laughs> Murakami uses jogging to get through writer's block. Ten kilometers a day, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay if I get five. <laughs> <laughs> when you began writing a memoir, mem what, what was the best bit of advice you received that stuck with you? Mm, the best bit of advice 
I'm trying to think because you know the, the sad thing is I've always looked for masters and advisors all my life but I have not had that many I've had people who believed in me and invested in me but um, gurus and teachers not so many so I had to find the best advice for myself so I think the best advice I probably got from a friend who was a writer was that I would find uh, my own advice uh, by by slamming the, my forehead on the keyboard a few times every day from the beginning of the writing process. I think that's the advice that was, and, and, I, and, I, and it's true, unfortunately. I've read wonderful books that are very helpful in, in many ways, like uh, David, David Mamet's Three Usages of the Knife, for example, for dr um, like written uh, three movies also, yeah. so on the three acts and of that type of writing. Yeah. Stephen King has written a wonderful, useful book about writing. On writing, yeah. I mean, and, and, and more, that, of course, you know, so it does help, I think, to reach out to, to people who have proven their mastery, and, and I think it also does it does help to read very popular. If you're if you're into literary fiction of quality, it does help to read very very popular writers as well and understand what is the secret of their success that makes them popular. Not that it should change the nature of, of your of your writing in any way, but understand the craft. So I think there, if you learn things by yourself like these things that I've just listed, I think they're worth a lot more than being given an advice. That, that could be like some, a mantra given for you to repeat. I think that you have to find your own mantra. <laughs> so what advice would you give to new writers? Don't listen up? to me. <laughs> <laughs> like Jiddu Krishnamurti, I think it was great. It was like he was chosen as the guru you know, by the Theosophical Society in Chennai, where I go walking every morning when I'm in Chennai. And, and he was a boy in this, in this, in the, in the beach, I think, that, that they, they realized he was going to be enlightening. And the best advice he gave immediately, as soon as he became the great guru, was like, you don't need a guru. And that's what the guru tells you, the good guru tells you, there is no need for guru. <laughs> so now the advice I would give is run, run, run away from this profession unless you are absolutely in need to pursue it. If you have the necessity, because uh, it is so much blood and tears. And I know it sounds like I've, got, I've been told this when I wanted to be a journalist, and I've been told this to be a writer, so I hate to be that old curmudgeon who repeats this thing, but it's the true test. If you don't have, if you, if you don't understand that the pleasure of writing is in the process, then you're wasting your time. Like, so that means that you might never publish your novel, and you should not cry your eyes out for, until you do like I did. Uh, because you, if you love writing, you love writing. Just write, and don't worry about the result. Then, of course, if you do, if you are able to convince people that it's beautiful, and because it is, and you and you find success, or at least publishing, great. But if you that frustration of, of having constructed something that is so difficult, like a book, and not seeing it published, can can really destroy you. So, if you are gonna enter into this boxing ring, come prepared to lose. And, and then my advice is, only if you really need to get punched, come in. <laughs> I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Great. Carla Pizzati, thank you for talking. Thank you, good talking to you. Thank I'm you. Over. I'm going to write it down now. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed um, the interview with Carlo Pizzati as much as I enjoyed talking to Carlo. Um, he's a very generous man with his time, very articulate, very smart. Um, go check out his uh, bio at uh, carlopizzati.wordpress.com um, and perhaps even buy his new book, which is uh, Mapale, an Italian son-in-law in India. 
um, all there for you. And of course, if you want to hear more Ubered, just uh, pop back to the ebookrevolutionpodcast.com website where all the show notes are for these episodes, including, of course, Carlo Pizzati. putting a podcast together it's a lot of work it's um there's tracking down people that um can be interviewed that uh will give value to you dear listener then there's the actual interviewing then editing the show together um the post-production to get it up to a standard and uh publish it on the web and putting all the show notes and materials together for the uh, the website. It's a big job, which is why um, I'm asking you for your help. We've put a uh, Patreon page up where we're, we're just asking people to help us um, with the cost of putting the show together and hopefully take it to the next level. This is a... a uh, big task for me uh, most of the show at the moment is produced by myself and um, with other tasks it, it's pretty difficult to get more than one out a month with a few patrons coming on board through Patreon I'd be able to hire somebody to help with uh, post-production and and some of the uh, administration around putting uh, the ebook revolution podcast together so we, we'd like to get four shows up a month we need your help to get there pop along to the ebookrevolutionpodcast.com website and there's a patreon badge just click on that and find out all that you need to do and how easy it is to become a patron of the ebook revolution podcast for the cost of a cup of coffee a month you can help this show keep going and take it to the next level that's me with my begging hat out i hope you'll uh, pop over and um, have a look the ebookrevolutionpodcast.com and just uh, click on the Patreon ribbon to find out more about becoming a, a patron of the Ebook Revolution podcast. Help us keep the show going and take it to the next level. Well, that's it for me. Episode 28, Jeff Hughes. Thank you so much for listening. This show is for you. It's a lot of fun. And I, I hope you're getting something out of it because I certainly get a lot out of it myself from the knowledge that I'm helping you with your writing and independent publishing journey. That's it for me.